0: second reading is the first part of the third parable in Luke 15, known by lots of names, usually called the parable of the prodigal son. The first Sunday in Lent uh, always brings us to focus on temptation, and Stacy and I are going to spend these first few weeks of Lent looking at this one parable of the prodigal son from various angles as it, as it illumines us to what? Jesus was talking about when he talked about the kingdom of God. Listen for this portion of Luke 15. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son had gathered all that he had. And traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. The word of the Lord. Long, several years ago, I attended a high school play. It was well done. The cast was on a roll. The first act sailed by effortlessly. The play was a comedy, and every funny line elicited laughter from the audience. But in the middle of the second act, one of the high school actors forgot his line. You could see it on his face that he knew it was his time to speak but he couldn't find the words. Everybody became anxious. The director was about ready to whisper the line to him when suddenly he spoke. It wasn't a line from the script that he said, but it was a line anyway. In his anxiety, he had just made something up, but at least he had spoken. Not only that, but what he said was pretty funny, and the the audience just roared in laughter. Everybody on stage relaxed. They'd gotten past kind of a hard spot, unfortunately, the forgetful actor heard the laughter in the audience and really liked it, so the next time he was to speak, he made up another line. This one was funny, too. It wasn't as funny as the first one, but everyone chuckled, so the actor made up another line, and then another line, and then another line. The the, the other actors were scrambling to try to keep up, but of course they couldn't. He was improvising whatever came into his head, and the play disintegrated. In the 15th chapter of Luke, Jesus offers us a parable about a lost sheep, and then a lost coin, and then at least one, if not two, lost children. At the beginning of the parable that begins, a father had two sons, the younger child decides to improvise his life. What led the younger son into this temptation? We're not talking about the temptation here to indulge in a little too much pastry or to fall in prey to a round of juicy gossip. This temptation was for him to make up his own lines for his life. The temptation, like Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, was to depart from God's script and live his own script for his life. Throughout the Gospels, it seems, Jesus' temptations were especially strong around the subject of his death. That's a contrast to the prodigal son in the parable, who appears to be tempted by a different kind of life, a life of escape, a life free from discipline and accountability. In fact, it appears that the younger son feared that he was slowly dying in the life that he had been given. He was wrong, of course, because the younger son saw both death and life through the cracked lens of fear and escape. Whenever we look at our lives through the cracked lens of fear and escape, nothing good will happen. How early in his life Jesus thought about his death, we don't know. The gospel writers Placed the thought of death quite early in each of the Gospels. There was an attempt on Jesus' life when he was an infant by Herod the Great. And though the plot was foiled, the reader knows that powers will try again. Matthew chapter 2. Why don't your disciples fast? You don't fast at a party. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Mark chapter 2. And old Simeon took the baby and held him in his arms and said to Mary, his mother, because of this child, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Luke chapter 2. Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He was speaking of the temple of his body. John chapter 2. Quite early in each of the gospels, but how early in Jesus' life did he think about death? There is no evidence that he had a death witch, that he went in search of the cross. We don't have here some brooding hamlet always in search of a sepulcher. In Jesus' life, we see none of the recklessness and disregard for a true anchored life that we see in the parable with the two children. In fact, the gospel rec- records say that uh, there's every indication that Jesus tried mightily to avoid death. Even John, whose Jesus is nearly untouchable, says, and he withdrew for his hour had not come. He tried. Jesus tried to hold on to his life, but the time came when he accepted what lay before him. When Carl Sandburg was still Charles Sandburg before he changed his name to Carl. He wrote a little poem, little known, and I don't know if he addressed it to himself or if he addressed it to Jesus. Take up your cross and walk the thorn way, and if a sponge of vinegar be past you on a spear, take that too. Souls are made of endurance, God knows. However, Jesus came to it. Sooner, later, the thought of giving his life in an effective way impressed itself on Jesus, and he found it, though, very difficult to talk about this with his friends. Don't miss the contrast. The younger son takes his life for himself and ends up staring face-to-face with death in that far country. Jesus offers to give himself over to death so that we might have life. Mark says that Jesus withdrew uh, from away from the crowds when he first brought up the subject of his death. The reaction he got was not one of silence. If you're at a family gathering and somebody says, you know, we probably should all talk about whether we have made our wills yet or not, somebody else in the room will go, oh, no, no, don't ruin the holiday. Let's not talk about that now. When Jesus mentioned death, he did not meet silence. Instead, Peter thunder. No, this will never happen to you. You're not going to die. We'll survive. There's a way to survive. You will survive, Jesus. They were screaming. Jesus was screaming at Simon Peter. Simon Peter was screaming at Jesus. Of course, Peter screamed. You can't accept the fact of death like that. What good is a dead Jesus, Peter was thinking. Life's the thing. The tenacity of life Life is a tenacious thing. I remember when I first learned that. I was about 10 years old, spending the summer on my grandfather's farm. I remember I had a hoe in my hand. I had been doing some chores when I came upon a snake. I didn't Take the time to think what kind of snake it was. Snakes are snakes when you're terrified. So in my semi-terror, I took the hoe and I killed the snake. At least I thought I'd killed the snake. Chop, chop, chop. The snake wouldn't die. It kept twitching there on the ground. I went to my grandfather and said, I killed a snake, but it won't die. And he said, you'll have to take the snake and hang it on the fence and it'll die at sundown. Really? (laughs) I was 10. I took the snake I didn't know that snakes didn't die till sundown. I took the snake, put it on the fence, but all day I'd pass it by and it would still be twitching and twitching, haunting me with life. The prodigal son is desperate for survival and sees no path forward. When Jesus said, I will be killed, no wonder Simon Peter screamed in his face, no, you'll survive. But in Peter's understandable, tempting reaction, Peter was attempting to improvise the lines that God had given to Jesus for the living of his life. In that bitter exchange, Jesus finally said, hush, no more of this. You represent the tempter, get behind me. The voice that insists on survival above all. In fact, you're wrong about being Simon Peter. In fact, you're wrong about yourself. Because the church that follows me, Jesus said, must also take up its cross. With one hand, Jesus takes his cross. With the other, he hands a cross to the church. And the followers of Jesus have said with Simon Peter ever since, No, we don't want that. We can survive. There are ways to survive. We'll figure it out. We'll take our life into our hands and figure it out. We are always tempted to make Jesus into something he is not. Jesus is not a therapist. He is not a project manager, nor a life coach, nor a cheerleader, nor an information specialist, nor a guru. Jesus is who Peter said he was. He is the Messiah, God's chosen one. Jesus is the hope of the world. And that hope, It comes at a great cost. That's a lesson the prodigal son could not learn. God's love is born in sacrifice. And that is the problem for Peter. No one wants to get hope that way. That's a problem for us. We don't want to get hope that way. No one wants to hear about getting hope through the demands of the gospel or loving the unlovely, or about putting Jesus above principles, above family, above tradition, even among religion. Our temptation is the prodigal's temptation. Take our life into our own hands. Rewrite God's script to make it just a little easier to swallow, Recently, I read about a church in Kentucky that was concerned it wasn't drawing enough people to, to the church or to faith in Jesus, so they began every Friday having free steak dinners where they gave away steaks, and for everyone who came, they also gave away a gun to encourage, and this is their language, not mine, unchurched young rednecks to come to church and accept Jesus. As one disapproving uh, neighbor said, Can you imagine Jesus giving away guns? We're always tempted to make Jesus into something he's not. Peter's temptation was to put survival at the top of the list, even above the call and purpose of Jesus, even above God's script for Jesus' life. Peter's temptation is apt to be ours as well, to avoid the hard road when the easier one looks enticing, to settle for some pallid imitation of hope because real hope is just too costly. As the prodigal discovered in the far country, that approach leads us to lose ourselves, to have no anchor, and to be far, far away from God. It was the hardest thing in the world for Peter to say to Jesus, you will die. The church has never been able to pronounce that well, Jesus is dead. Even on that awful Saturday after Good Friday, the church could not say Jesus is dead. There were stories that got made up. Like, you know who really died? <clears throat> it was Simon the Cyrene, the one who was carrying the cross. That's the, they did a switch. That's the one who really died. Or do you know that sponge they passed Jesus? It had a drug in it. It looked like he died, but he didn't really die. We'll revive him later. Jesus can't die. Survival. Survival. But there is something faulty in the thinking that says the death of Jesus is the life of the world, but then says the death of the church is the end of the world? That doesn't make sense. What I do know is this. That… Every place, in almost every church I know, large and small, wherever groups of Christians gather, pressure is being put on you and me to have as number one on our agenda survival at any cost. It's a temptation to have survival at any cost. That's what robs uh, the disciples like Peter back then and the prodigal in the far country and you and me now, the possibility of really grounded, nurturing, risky hope that God offers. When this happens to us here, when we hear cries for survival and shortcuts and the pressure to fit in and go along and the pressure to think that by grinning we'll make it Easter, when we feel those pressures, I hope we will hear Jesus' voice, get behind me, tempter. Take up your cross. You have to give your life. Our temptation is often the younger sons to take our life on our own And then maneuver around the hard parts, thinking that somehow we will find life in some distant country. To think that we can manage our lives better than God can manage our lives. To conceive plans for our lives that are in fact escapes from God's plans for our lives. It never occurred to the younger son for a moment that his vocation in life was going to be to give his life. That call to give our life rarely occurs to us. What does it mean to give our life? I think it means to be willing to empty our pockets for somebody else's children. I think it means to treat as mother and father, those who aren't really your mother or your father. I think it means to claim as sister those who you do not know who are not your kin I think it means to call as a brother someone you don't even recognize. This is what Jesus was up to when he appeared saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It was this kingdom. I think it means to reach out and touch, actually touch people who our society has labeled untouchable. I think it means to sit at table with those who live far outside our tight social circle and listen to them and to break bread with them I think it means to witness for Jesus Christ, even though such action can cause awkward pauses and embarrassing glances around the room at a party. I think it means reaching out in trust and respect and gentleness to those who express their faith in God or or who are struggling to express their faith in God in ways that you will find it difficult to recognize. What does it mean to give your life? It means being an advocate. It means speaking up, to speak about the gospel truth with its power and its ambigu- am- ambiguity in a world where there are just so many clanging voices today and to do that, to advocate as if something important were at stake. I think it means to hold fast to God's script, not ours, God's script for our life and our community even in the face of the powers of popularity and political expediency and bullying power grabs or conventional wisdom, all of whom say, here, try this script. You'll like it more. And if we go that way, if we actually give our lives in that way, the temptation, as Peter knew well, will be to try to make Jesus into something he is not. That's what the devil was trying to do with Jesus in the wilderness. Turn him into something he was not meant to be. The temptation is always to improvise a different script. If we actually give our lives for the gospel, there will be those around us, even in church and everywhere, who will say, look, this is suicide. We're losing. This is suicide. And we'll have to decide whether it's suicide or giving our life. That little poem that Charles Sandberg, Carl Sandberg, I don't think he addressed it to Christ, and I don't think he addressed it to himself. I think he addressed it to the church. Take up your cross and walk the thorn way, and if a sponge of vinegar be passed you on a spear, take that too. Souls are made of endurance. God knows.